Welcome, welcome, welcome. Much love to you all. Good to be back on Bible Study Live again and uh, sharing the Word of God with each other. So much uh, love to all of you. And a thank you, thank you, thank you for all the birthday wishes and birthday love and pastor anniversary love. Appreciate it. Still, uh, still kind of shocked that it's been this long and we've gone this far, but let's keep on pushing. All right, let's pray. And then we'll go right into our lesson for today. Dear gracious heavenly father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you and appreciate you. God, we magnify you for all that you are and all that you mean. Thanking you for the goodness uh, of sending your son. Thank you for your kindness toward us. And thank you for just blessing us, protecting us and doing all the many wonderful things you've done for us. We ask that you would bless us, illuminate this uh, talk and teaching and lesson and strengthen us to move ahead in the things of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So on Sunday, we did things just a little different. I preached in a different way. It was kind of more like just talking um, about things that that I've encountered. I learned uh, dropping nuggets here and there. And I called it 11 things, uh, talking about the 11 things that I learned in 11 years as a pastor here at Deliverance Temple. Some of the things were things that that I knew before pastoring, but they became more real as I became the senior pastor. And so I uh, did 11 of those, and then I had 11 honorable mentions. And uh, on the honorable mentions, I just didn't really go any detail with those. I just kind of dropped them maybe said a word or two about them and then moved on. So we're going to flip it for tonight's Bible study. I'm going to cover the 11 things we talked on Sunday, but I'm not going to expound on those. Then I'm going to go back and hit the honorable mentions. And that's what we're going to study for on Bible study. So we're not going to necessarily go over what we did Sunday. So it should be interesting. So let's just, let's look over the, the 11 that I did expound on. And then we'll spend our time on the honorable mention. So let's do that. Let's go to the first one. And I'll do it side by side. It's never as good as you thought, but also never as bad as you thought. I spent some time talking about living in balance because things aren't as good as you think they are, nor are they as bad as you think you are. they are. So stay somewhere in, in that balance. And then number two, we talked about frustration, living at the intersection between dreams and provisions. When you're dreaming on a high level, but your provision is on a low level, that space in between, it, it, it leaves room for a lot of frustration and learning how to grow through that and not, uh, not throwing that away and making it purposeful can help you as you're trying to reach your dreams. And it's an encouragement just to keep dreaming high even though there's some frustration there, keep dreaming high because you just never know what's going to happen. Somebody said, shoot for the moon. And if you miss the moon, you'll even, you'll land in the stars. And then uh, picking, backing off of that is your budget does not determine your excellence. So when the provision and the resources can be low, it affects your budget, affects what you can do, but you can still be excellent on any level. The point of that uh, lesson or that point is that you can be excellent on any level at any stage you're in, you still can operate in excellence. So don't allow the lack of resources or the budget, or I don't have this. I don't have that. You still can be excellent. One of the things uh, I, I will mention this is that 
people compliment me on my dress a lot. But what most don't know, I spend a lot of time at clearance racks, even vintage stores, uh, even used things. I've, I've learned that I can look a certain way without spending well above my budget. I love a clearance. I love a sale. And I will watch something because I don't have to have it right away. I'll watch something over and over until it falls to where I want to fall. And then I'll uh, buy it. And sometimes when I buy it, it's no longer in style. It's no longer the end thing. But then by the time I put it on, they're like, oh, you're bringing that back. No, I couldn't afford it at first. I waited. But you can be excellent on that any level. That's something to know and understand. Number four, if you assume you know where your enemies will come from, you will get blindsided. Uh, keep your head on a swivel. Don't uh, allow the enemy to uh, misdirect you by assuming you know where your enemy is going to come from. No, it can come from anywhere. So always be aware. And uh, I use the scripture that David talked about how it was th those who was closest to him that became his biggest enemy. And he's like, I could have understood it if it was who I thought the enemy would be. So be careful, assuming you know where the enemy will come from. Uh, number five, not all help is helpful. Some help is harmful. You must know the difference. Uh, learning when uh, help has strings attached and you'll be better off without the help. That's something to know and learn. And I think it can be beneficial for us. Number six, it's better to under-promise and over-deliver than over-promise and under-deliver. I'll mention that just for uh, a second. That uh, I think I, I've seen a lot of Christians do this, which, is, which bothers me a lot, is they just they talk on levels that they're not on. And then when they drop well below that, they act like, oh, it's okay. No, it's not. Stop speaking on places you're not. And then uh, setting the bar high and underperforming, set the bar lower and then overperform, go above and beyond. And so I, I think that's very important for us to do, because especially if we're, if we're people of our word, we won't do a whole lot of exaggerating. We'll be people of few words. One scripture says, let your words be few. Let your work speak for itself. Don't don't puff things up. Don't overinflate things. Uh, all that exaggeration is unnecessary. All right, number seven, there's a queen and a fool in all of us who you feed the most is who responds the most. That's pretty much self-explanatory. I won't uh, go into much detail with that. Number eight, three groups of people in the church, the critics, the uncommitted, and then the committed. Uh, the major point about that is that, that it was my job to focus on the committed because one of the worst things a pastor can do is focus on the critics and then beat the committed people up with messages that are designed for the critics. No, speak to the committed. Speak to the ones that are growing. Speak to the ones that are doing. Let the other people find their way. Don't give a whole lot of attention to the negative. Focus on the positive. And a lot of times what will happen is that group in between, the middle group, they will shift from one side to the other. They'll either shift to be the committed or they'll shift to be the critic, depending on who you feed the most. And it piggybacks on number seven about whether you feed the king, the queen, or if you feed the fool. All right, number nine, you must think more on the ones who stayed than on the ones who left, which piggybacks on the committed. Uh, the committed are the people who stayed. So focus on the people who stayed, focus on the people who did, instead of focusing on all the ones who didn't. 
And so there, there could be a lot that didn't, but if we give them our, our focus, we rob ourselves of celebrating the people who stayed. And sometimes you overlook and neglect the people who've been there the most by focusing on the ones who's been there the least. Number 10, it's lonely at the top. The higher you go up, the fewer people there are that you can lean on. It's one thing when you're pressing for success and growth, it changes. Your circle changes. It must change. It has to change. And it can be very lonely when you're on a certain path. But understanding that can help you and, and help you understand. That's why some people have to leave because you can't take them where you're going anyway. So sometimes the people you're crying over that left, you really should be praising God for because they would have messed up where you were headed. And there's a, there's a there's something in the honorable mentions that I will connect back to this later. And then the last one was the wins are more impactful than the losses. As a pastor, that's what I really have to uh, remember is that the ones who make it, the ones who get it, it makes all the difference. When, when uh, you deal with a ministry that, uh, especially when my father had it, that dealt with a lot of uh, substance abuse, there's, there was a lot of relapses. A lot of people who failed don't make it. Some people died. Uh, some overdosed. It, it's a lot of pain in that. But the few who make it, it makes the work so worth it. And so you have to understand what that's like in your life. What wins make all the losses worth it? Uh, no pain, no gain. But sometimes those gains make it all. If you're in the uh, gym and uh, you really, really have been working hard. When you first start, you don't see a whole lot of progress. It, uh, it could be hard. You, you, you start stepping on that scale, and the scale doesn't show the work that you've done. It can be hard, but you give it enough time, you start seeing wins, and those wins make the pain worth it. So that's something very important to understand. I'll, I'll, I'll go into how I close it, and then we'll go back and touch down or mentions and make uh, spend some time there. So I close it with this Isaiah 46, nine through 11 using, uh, that passage because me turning 46 on that day and the 11th year of pastoring, I, I, I was looking for a verse, uh, that had the 46, 11. And then that verse spoke to me. And as I explained, I took it out of context because it had a more negative context. But since we're under grace, we see that how God did things in negative. He also does them in positive, uh, now that we have Christ. So just reading uh, through the verses, I'll try to expound on it just a little. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Uh, in, in this case, he was telling uh, the Israel because they had forgotten God. In, in, in one place, he tells them not to remember the former things because he was going to do a new thing. But here he was telling them to remember the former things because they had forgotten him. They had really disassociated themselves uh, from him. But for us in the spirit that, that I'm speaking is that we always keep God at the forefront of our memory. That's why our vision statement is we connect with our creator continually. So we always are remembering God. Uh, verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. This verse, it stands on its own, even though the entire context of this verse was God 
uh, punishing Israel. And I'll, I'll give uh, you Bible study scholars the background of that. He was talking about raising up a man named Cyrus, who actually came in the Medo-Persian era in the Persian kingdom, because you had the Babylonian kingdom that that first took Israel into exile, but then the Persian king king uh, overthrew uh, Babylonian, overthrew Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar, and and the start of that Persian empire was a king named Cyrus. And God was saying, I was actually, he was actually raising him up, but it was under that kingdom, the Persian kingdom, that the Israel began to return back home and come back to uh, their land. So God was speaking to them ahead of time that I'm getting ready to raise up a man to accomplish my purpose. And so it spoke to me because even though he was raising up a man that was going to actually bring some punishment, but he was actually the man that was getting Israel turned around to come back home. That's my job in the life of the people I pastor is to the purpose that God has over your life. It will come to pass, but many times he uses people to make those things come to pass. And so that's why it humbles me is that God uses me to help you. He doesn't need me to help you, but he uses me to help you. He connects me in your life and he gives me wisdom, insight, and clarity to help you get to the purpose. But at the end of the day, the glory goes to God. So let's look at that verse again. I make known the end from the beginning. So God speaks the end in your life at the beginning when he finds you or you connect with Deliverance Temple. In most cases, many of the people that come to Deliverance Temple, they're just, they don't have everything all together. There's some issues somewhere in their life. And that's why I always uh, jokingly say we're not perfect temple. So by the time they come to Deliverance Temple, God begins to show them the end that, look, you will be delivered. You will be close to me. You will make it to heaven. You will, your marriage will get better or your money will get better but he's speaking the end from the beginning. So we have to get on that journey. And many times at the beginning, it doesn't feel like that. So what God does, he brings me along to partner with you to remind you of what the end is going to look like. It's my job to inspire you, to encourage you, even to correct you, to keep you on that end. Uh, I like to use this, the word offend, it really is two words off end. And so it's my job to help you not get offended, get off of the end that God has for you. Because when you get off of the end, you delay the purposes of God. You delay the plan of God. I want you to get on the journey and end up where God wants you to be. I don't want you to be off ended or offended. So it's my job to push you, to encourage you, to to uh, pray and, and build faith in you. So God has raised me up for that purpose. It's not by happenstance. It's not by accident. It's not a coincidence. Even in the Hebrew, there's no real word for coincidence. God doesn't believe in coincidence. Everything he does is orchestrated. And if you would yield to God, he'll get you where you need to be. And he will keep speaking the end in your life. So I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And then uh, Isaiah 46 and 11, from the east, I summoned a bird of prey from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. So in the previous verse, he's saying, I'm going to fill my purpose with my people. But then in that next verse, verse 11, he says, I'm going to use a man to do it. Now, once again, that's in its context, he's talking about a man who would who would somewhat punish 
and then get them turned around. But in my cases, I'm, God has not really brought me as a punisher. He's brought me as an encourager. But I'm the man that he's raising up. And so it's interesting on my 46th birthday and my 11th year of pastoring that Isaiah 46, 11 really spoke to me. And the, the idea, he says, I'm bringing a man from the east. It just reminds me that even literally uh, the school that I went to in college is actually east of Muncie. It's it's just about as far as far east as you can go before you cross into Ohio. I, uh, my school was in Richmond, Indiana, and it was east. And my goal was not to come back and do anything in Muncie at, at all. But God began to arrest me where I was, show me how lost I was, and begin to pull me back. And the only thing I wanted to do was come back and be in the church just to get my mind right. I really wasn't coming back to be a minister I was just coming back because I had really lost my my way. But he calls me from the east. He brings me back. And it wasn't long before I really began to realize that I'm not going back to school, that I'm getting ready to be plugged into the ministry. And, and it came with the idea of, well, I'm just going to help my dad. But then my dad was like, God showed me something while you were in college that, you know, he he wants you to be a minister. And he was like, is that true? And I was like, yeah, but, but you know, I, I, I was thinking that's going to be in my thirties and his God was, my, my dad was like, what makes you think God wants to do it that late? And I was like, well, I, I guess, but I, I didn't say, well, I want to do anything. It would just wait it. But then things begin to shift really quick. And before long, you know, I realized that God was raising me up to take over the ministry. Not, not something I necessarily wanted to do, but now I love what I'm doing because I realize it's my job to help people reach their purpose. And so uh, what I've said that I will bring about, what I've planned, that will I do. So it's my job to help what he spoke over your life to come to pass. All right. So having said that, let me go back and let's, I'm going to pick up these honorable mentions that uh, I didn't spend a lot of time when, with before so let's let's start here the first one was rest is a requirement this is something that i've had to learn that rest is in the scripture rest is not a suggestion it is actually a requirement one of the things that we have to remember is that we live in this earthen body and because we live in this earthen body what we call the flesh we need to rest and if we don't, we hinder ourselves and we also can hinder our spirituality and don't get so deep that you don't rest. And one of the things that I did try to deviate from what I grew up with is not having us in church all the time, all day long, because number one, how are you going to get out there and do the work of God if you're doing everything inside of here? You, you have to get out. But even outside of here, you don't need to be witnessing 24-7, 2,000 days out of a year. There's only 365 days. You, you, you need to rest. And even Jesus went and rested. And so when you have a great call on your life, rest is a requirement. It's not optional. You have to learn how to rest. The, uh, the law instituted what they call the Sabbath. And so when we, when we take a sabbatical, that word sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath. But in the law, they, uh, the Sabbath was a requirement. He required them not to work. Now, what's, what's quite interesting when you think about this is that they were coming out of Egypt. 
They were coming into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. So when they come out of Egypt, they were slaves. So that meant they had worked their fingers to the bone. They had been doing all kinds of things, and God delivers them. And one of the first things he says is, I'm going to make you rest. Because whenever you've been in bondage, you get in bad habits, and rest is not one of them. You get in what we call the grind. And when you grind, 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 at some point your health fails, your physical health fails, your mental health fails, your spiritual health fails. So God instituted the Sabbath. Now, by the time you get to Jesus' time, they had got so wild with the Sabbath that they had turned it into something it wasn't meant to be. So when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, they was like, ooh, we got you, Jesus. You ain't supposed to do no work on the Sabbath. No, God was just trying to institute for them the rest. But you don't have to be so super deep about it. So that's one thing that we just have to remember. Rest is a requirement. Here's another thing that's quite important is harvest is also hard. That's something that I've had to learn because we, we, when we preach harvest, God is going to give you a harvest or God's going to give you a business or God's going to give you a man or God's going to do this. Sometimes what we forget is that with the harvest comes work. In the literal harvest, they would have to go and take the sickle and reap the harvest. It would be hot out there. It would sweat. It requires work. So some people... They miss the idea that I've got to work for some of the things that God is blessing me with. And people skip stuff because it looks too much like work. There are people who have backed out on relationships because the relationship required them to work. They meet a man. They meet a woman. But something about the way that woman moves or where that man moves, it challenges them. And so instead of going through with it, it's like, ah, oh, pastor, I got rid of them. Why you get rid of them? Well, they was asking me about, am I going to work on my credit? They don't need to know my business. Well, if they're going to marry you, they do need to know. How do you handle your money? And so sometimes when people are required to work, they back out of it. Because we have preached sometimes a message that makes you think that prosperity and harvest means it's all magical. No, some of that stuff is work. To uh, I, I've, I've looked at my wife and even watched her and even I've had to make sacrifices when it's, it's great to be a business owner, but there's a lot of work in it. The first five to 10 years, many times you don't even turn a profit. Everything goes back into the business. It's a lot of sweat, blood and tears to pay little tiny dividends. And if you don't understand that, you, you'll quit. You'll give up. Pastoring is hard work. Yes, it's great to be a part of someone's purpose of their life, but it's hard work. It's excruciating. So you have to understand that harvest can be hard. And this this is something that that uh, statistics bear out. People who win the lottery, a lot of them are broke 10, five years later because they don't know how to handle a windfall of money. And they've messed up families. It, very, the statistics show that very few end up being successful because with great uh, 
with great blessings and great opportunity comes great responsibility. Even Spider-Man says that Marvel comics understand that that there's responsibility behind it. You you win a lot of money. Sometimes you can't tell a whole bunch of people. You need to get a financial advisor. You need to figure out how much am I going to invest? How much am I going to give? Who in my family am I going to have to tell no to? Because I can't give everybody everything because I'm going to lose it all. And I can't, I can't buy this. So even though I may be a millionaire, according to the lottery, taxes may take a whole bunch. And so I may only end up with 400000 So if I buy a house that's 800000 because I thought I had a million dollars, then I'm already, I'm, I'm already in debt. So not knowing things, it, it sometimes in order to stand on powerful levels, it takes work. It takes discipline. It uh, sometimes people look at a doctor and they're like, oh, man, that doctor, they making money hand over fist and they got a nice house and a nice car. But do you realize how many years of medical school they had to go through, how much debt of student loans they had to go through to get to where they are? Don't assume that harvest is just magical, easy. Harvest is hard. But if you understand that, then you can brace yourself for it and you can walk in the things that God has for you and not quit and give up because it gets hard. First, this is one good thing for us just to get through our mind. Life in general is hard, period. Saved, unsaved, rich, poor, whatever, life is hard, period. So once you understand that, you won't freak out every time you run into something that is is hard. Uh, another thing I think is good, and I, I didn't, uh, well, actually, on the honorable mentions, I really didn't talk about many of them, but I'll throw this to you. Not everything is a 10 in life. So if you always expect everything to be a 10, even though it's good, not everything is a 10. And so manage your expectations. Not every birthday is a 10. Uh, not every sermon I preach is a 10. There may, there may be sermons you'd be like, oh, man, that was amazing. And other sermons, they're not all that exciting. You still may need it, but manage your expectations. Not every vacation is a 10. You can go on a vacation that you really think I'm going to relax in, and then the accommodations aren't great. The food you eat isn't great. The place you stayed isn't, isn't great. So learn not to flip out when everything is not a 10. To us married couples, not every sexual encounter is a 10. Sometimes it's a five. Sometimes it's a four. It's okay. You can try it again another time. You you don't have to throw uh, life away and be overly disappointed just because sometimes things are hard. You can work through hard moments and still be okay. So that's something good to know. So harvest is hard. Manage your expectations and grow to things. Now, there, there sometimes things are 20s and they're 30s. They're, they're amazing. But most times life stays in a certain even keel. And if you can manage those, then you'll be able to manage the highs and the lows. And that reminds me of, of the sermon about the hills and valleys that we talked about. All right, let's go back to uh, the next one. C, use laughter as a medicine. The scripture says it this way. It said, uh, laughter does good like a medicine. But we have to learn how to actually use it, like take doses of it. And so even though you may be grieving, even though you may be broke, even though uh, your relationship may not have worked out, you may be on the outs with a family member, understand the importance of laughter and use it. Don't be so deep that you can't laugh. Don't be so 
grief stricken that you can't laugh. Don't be so focused that you can't laugh because the laughter is like a medicine and literally like a medicine because scientifically it, it says that when we laugh, certain endorsins are relieved in our body. They even talk about how uh, all the muscles it takes to frown versus the muscles it takes to smile. You benefit yourself when you are smiling, when you're laughing. Now, you're not always going to have things to laugh about because, like I told you previously, number one, life is hard and even harvest is hard. But there are moments where you can strategically laugh. And one of the best things to do is to laugh at yourself, not to take things so seriously, not to uh, freak out about every little thing. Sometimes you got to laugh at things. Now, I, I, I've used this example before, but it reminds me like when you were younger and you were a teenager and you wake up and you got a pimple on your forehead and you got like, you got a gala to go to and man. Now you wake up, I got a pimple. Like I got, this is the worst time to have a pimple. A teenager freaks out. Like I can't go to prom cause I got a pimple on my forehead. Adults just like, Hey, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. It's a pimple. I just got to laugh about it. I may try to do something. And then sometimes you try to do something. Now you leave a scar now you got your eye covered up with makeup. It's okay to laugh at those moments. And the good thing about that, it's like medicine. And it's also like a weapon because Satan doesn't understand when he's trying to frustrate you and you just laugh some things off. Some stuff you, you just, you just got to laugh about. Uh, a prime example of something that was really uh, devastating to me was the fact in 2020, uh, we were celebrating our 20th uh, wedding anniversary with an actual vow renewal. Uh, Devin had a dress. I had a tuxedo. I bought the boys tuxedo. Uh, uh, Devin had bought my daughter a dress. We had the venue picked out, the food picked out. And the next day we're flying to Paris. And on that week is when they shut everything down. And that was, I mean, that was devastating. It was already paid for. Uh, it was already planned out and it all had to go out the window cause of this pandemic. I'm like, man, can the pandemic just wait seven days? <laughs> I mean, like, come on, all these things that I, I, I was wanted to do, they were all out, out the door. And, uh, I remember, uh, Devin saying something to me about Idris Elbow getting COVID. And then I made a post about the fact that the fact that we missed Paris and we missed our wedding that she didn't seem as broken down as she did when she found out Idris Elba had COVID. And I was able to laugh about it. I did a video and posted it. And there was like hundreds of people that laughed and they were calling me and laughing. I took something that was actually painful and disappointing and I, I laughed about it. What, what am I going to do? I, if it would have made no sense for me to try to go to Paris because it was a global pandemic. I and mean, there's nothing I could do about it. I could cry about it. I tried to get my money back and I got my money back. So why am I going to stay crying? Sometimes you just got to laugh. And I've learned that. I learned that with my dad's uh, passing, I laugh and it's as medicine. Now, if you're not normally a funny person, because I'm a person who has a sense of humor anyway. So it's may, this may be more difficult for you than it is for me. But learn to laugh at other people. One thing that you can do looking at kids, kids will make you laugh. Kids will say the darndest things. So put yourself in places where you can at least laugh sometime 
while you're going through dark moments because that laughing uh, acts as a medicine and it could be a weapon that really benefits you. All right. So covering again, rest is a requirement. Harvest is also hard. Use laughter as a medicine. Here's another good one. Waiting is a skill. Patience is a skill. Not only is life hard, but in many cases, especially when it comes to the purpose of God in your life, the plan of God in your life, you're going to be forced to wait. How you wait is vitally important. Somebody said this way, your attitude determines your altitude. So if you know life is going to be hard, you know everything is not going to be a 10, that means you're going to have to employ patience. One scripture says employing patience. A version of it says we employ patience. So you're going to have to use patience. One scripture says with patience we possess our souls. So you have to learn the skill of waiting. Uh, speaking of COVID, uh, those of us who, who have gotten it, I end up getting it in January of 2022. You're just down a couple of days. Nothing you can do about it. You, you, you just got you just got to go through it because it, it hits your body in a such a way and it shuts you down and you just you got to deal with it. And so how you deal with it is is important. I decided, you know, I'm going to catch up on, on movies. I couldn't be around the family. I was in a room by myself quarantining. So I grabbed my laptop. I watched movies. I prayed a lot. I made the most of it. So, you know. I could pout about it. I could cry about it. And then we're human. We, we're going to have those moments. You're going to be like, man, why? Why now? Why me? Why this? But after you get over that, you you got to just go through it. So learn how to laugh through it. Learn how to wait uh, patiently. Be a good person. Don't be such the irritated person. Uh, some people, when you take them out to eat, you find out they're just not the type of people you want to hang, hang around because they're just so demanding. They can't can't wait. Where do what the waitress at with the drinks? Well, you just ordered it. I mean, like, give her a chance. Don't you see she's doing all this? Waiting is a skill, and it shows you the development you have when you're able to wait well, and the scripture calls it long-suffering. So, always remember that. Uh, e, people give to what they love. This is good for me to understand as a pastor. One of the reasons why I stopped really spending a whole lot, a lot of time talking about giving and I don't beat people up about their giving because you figure out people give to what they love because the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So why would I beat someone up for not giving? Because they're showing me that they don't really love me like that if they're not going to give or they don't even love DT like that if they're not going to give. So I'm not going to waste my time beating up the non-givers. I'm going to encourage the givers because people give to what they love. Why would I be mad? Like, oh, they all at the club, and then they, then when they come to church, they ain't got no money for church. Well, they love the club more than they love church. It's, 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 they're proving that to me, so ain't no need me beating them up about it because they showing me what they love. When people show you who they are, believe them. You ain't, you ain't got to flip out about it or worry about it, about it. Now, maybe they'll change. Maybe they'll, they'll grow. But right now they love what they love. You have people in your life that don't give to you. They don't really love you like that. You can just realize because people give to what they love, where their treasure is. That's where their heart is. So, you know, sometimes you can just let people off the hook and know that their words and actions don't really match where you're concerned, so it's okay. Now, we're not saying 
that, uh, you know, sometimes people are broke. They can't, but they'll find a way like, okay, I can't give to you right now, but I'm going to write you a letter that says happy birthday. I'm sure I'm going to give something because I really, really love you. And so you figure out who loves you and you're okay. You're okay with it. And, uh, on the flip side, when it comes to, uh, parents giving the kids, especially adult kids, you've done so much giving to them that as they grow, you find out they don't really love you like that because they're still immature. So sometimes you can back off and stop always rushing to their aid because when it's their birthday, you always trying to make sure they got something taken care of. But when it's your birthday, they be like, oh, I, I, mama, I forgot, you know, seven, seven days later, I forgot. How, how you, happy birthday, mama. They don't, they don't love you like that. They love what they love. And it's okay, but sometimes you can withdraw some of what you do if God leads you to. You know, sometimes, you know, God just tells you to keep doing because we're supposed to love our enemies and, and always do. But my, my point is that people show you who they are, and sometimes it's okay. And if you know the skill of waiting, you can wait for them to grow and mature. But I would stop overdoing for folk who don't know how to do for you. I'll just throw that out there. All right. Uh, F, God's work with others is not your business. So that's a quick way of saying mind your business. If life seems to be hard for you and life seems to be easy for them and God is blessing them and seem like opening doors for them, and doesn't seem like he's opening doors as quick for you, guess what? That's none of your business. What God is doing with them is not your business. So don't get mad at God for what he's doing with someone else because what he's doing with someone else may not match what he's doing with you. Let let me put it to you like this. Uh, When a child wants popcorn, they can put a bag in the microwave and they can have popcorn within minutes. But when a family wants a Thanksgiving meal, it's not going to be microwavable. It's going to take a lot of preparation. It's going to take time. Sometimes you're getting mad at people who have popcorn blessings and you have a Thanksgiving blessing. So it's going to take longer for God to do what he's trying to do. And you're messing things up because you're mad at someone who's got a popcorn blessing because you're looking at them like, wait, they don't live as good as me and they're not as righteous as me. Stop getting into those comparisons because you're messing things up. The reason why you're waiting longer is because what God has for you is probably bigger and greater and more uh, extravagant than what the other person is. But you're going to be like what I always talk about. You're going to be like the tortoise and the hare. You're going to look at the turtle and judge the turtle. And then you're going to start relaxing and you're going to mess up. So what God is doing with someone else, it's not your business. Focus on you. There's a verse that really speaks to this that's, that was quite powerful. It was after Jesus had already died and resurrected. And there's a story of him uh, where the disciples were out fishing and then they see somebody on the shore. And and long story short, he he didn't look like who he was, but they realized it was Jesus and he was uh, cooking fish. And so they, they eat fish with him. And then he begins to talk to Peter and he begins to prophesy to Peter on what way that Peter would die. And then Peter points at John and says, well, well, what about him? And Jesus effectively says to him, what I'm doing with John is none of your business. He said, if I want John to stay around till I come back, that ain't got nothing to do with you. 
And then a rumor grew that John was going to stay uh, till Jesus returned, which didn't happen. He he died. But uh, if you would Google that, uh, those of you who don't know that story, if you would Google that and read it, you will basically see that Jesus told him, mind your business. What I do with John ain't got nothing than what I'm doing with you, Peter. And so we all have our own walk. So stay in your lane and don't worry about what God is doing for someone else. And now another thing that you have to be careful with is that the devil blesses too. The devil does good things so that he can eventually trap people up with bad things. So while you're mad that someone got married in front of you, sometimes they married the wrong person. And it was a trick. It was a trap. And then you find people who had an awesome wedding. And five years later, you're finding they're running from domestic violence because the person was crazy because the devil blesses too, but he always has a catch. So while you're mad at somebody else's blessing, it may not even be God's blessing. So stay in your lane. Focus on what God has for you. Don't be jealous of anybody else because what God has for you is for you in his timing, on his time, and it, it'll be good for you. Another thing uh, that I've had to learn even as a, uh, a preacher, because I've, I've had many people tell me, like, you're you're bigger than Muncie or you're going to blow up or or this is going to happen. Well, I, I've been doing this almost 24, five years. And yes, I've had some success, but I'm not like a household name as far as preachers. A lot of people don't know who I am. I'm, people aren't beating my door down to get me to preach places, even though I have preached a lot of places. I'm still not on the level that a lot of people think that that I should be on. But one thing that I've learned is not always that I'm not ready for the platform. Sometimes the platform isn't ready for me. In other words, that God has protected me because I may get to places that I think are, oh, I've arrived and find out that they do dirty things. They do underhanded things. They don't have the same integrity. So God has protected me by putting me in a place where I can just keep growing. And when the time is right, I'll be wherever God wants me to be when the time is right. So I've learned not to rush God. Do I still ask God, like, when is it my turn? Of course I do because I'm human. But I've learned what God is doing for other people. It's not my business. I've seen people that that everybody knows that they've cheated on their wife. They've even been talked about. They've been caught in scandals and they got more preaching engagements than I do. But I'm not judging them because what God is doing with them is not my business. Stay in my lane. Do what God wants me to do and pray for whoever is out front. Maybe I don't need to be out front. I've learned to run my race and let God do what he wants to do. One scripture says this way, my times are in your hand, God. You trust God with the timing and let God do it the way he wants to do it. Uh, before I move on, there, there's a comedian named Country Wayne, and he, he uh, just did a video uh, that I just seen today, and he's he was in Hollywood, and uh, he was talking about trusting God's timing because Hollywood had overlooked him, overlooked him. And so he just started doing Facebook videos and then Instagram videos. And then he actually blew up doing things way different than the Hollywood route. And now Hollywood has come to him and now he's making deals. And he was like, trust God's timing. Cause if I got it the way I wanted it, it wouldn't have came this way. So he was just saying that, you know, God knows what he's doing. And I say the same thing to you. Don't worry about somebody else. Stay in your lane. God knows what he's doing in your life. All right, so here's uh, two more. Gifted people have private struggles. Here's another reason why it's very 
good not to rush God. Because if you're gifted in any way, you have private struggles. And when you rush God, then what happens is you get on stage and then your private struggle becomes public. So many times God is protecting you by not promoting you yet. He's trying to help you because we all have something. Just like we talked about the king and the fool, we all got something in us. We all got a weakness. We all got something that we are ashamed of if we allow it to, to get out of control. I tell you, it's my Dre. It's not Pastor Andre. It's not Andre. It's the Dre in me that if allowed to go unchecked, it would shame all of y'all, including myself. So when you're gifted, you have things that you struggle with private. And God is okay with that, and he will deal with you. But when you rush for the limelight, the limelight will show those private struggles. And that's why celebrities struggle with so many things, because many times the jobs that they have push them in places they're not really ready for. Most people are not ready for fame. They got too much junk in their closet to be ready for fame. So quit trying to chase promotions, because many times you're not ready for them. You're gifted, yes. You can do a lot of things, but you got weak areas. And not everybody needs to know your weak areas. God will love you through your weak areas, but guess what? The public may not. And in, in today's age, they call it cancel culture. They will cancel you in a heartbeat. So we all have things that if the mic was turned on us, they would, we would be caught saying things that people would be like, oh, I didn't uh, know you said that, or I didn't know you thought like that. Even amongst family, you can have family members that you think are crazy, but you would never say it out loud. But in private, you'd be like, man, shoot, my, my mama crazy as a bat. But if your mama heard you say that, it would cause a lot of trouble. So we all got things that we can hide or that need to be hidden. And God, with his grace, will help us work on things. But when you get ahead of God, sometimes those private struggles become public. And you, not everybody bounces back from that. So we have to be careful of that. Number one, know it. Stay humble to God and allow God to work on you in private. All right. I, quitting is the only way to lose. That's something that I come back to over and over. We're guaranteed to win. The moment we accept Jesus, we're guaranteed to win. So the only way we lose is if we quit along the way. So that means no matter how hard things are, you got to get up and you got to keep moving forward. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. He gets up eight. You keep getting up. And that's something we preach in Deliverance Simple. And that's why our second part of our vision statement is we confess our deliverance consistently. We know we're not where we need to be. But we're not quitting because we're getting there. So we say, hey, God's delivered me. I know I got some private stuff that could shake up the whole world. That could be a controversy. But I'm confessing my deliverance that I'm not going to stay with that stuff. God's delivering me. He's getting me right when the time is right. When, when I need to be where I need to be, everything's going to be okay because I know I need deliverance. And I'm confessing it. I'm believing God for it. And I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep getting up because the only way we lose is if we quit. So that's something to always remember. Let's cover those again. Gifted people have private struggles. Uh, quitting is the only way to lose. I accidentally skipped over H, so let's pick up H. Social media is free branding. I wish I could get under. I wish I could get young people to understand this. Social media is free marketing, and it's free branding. So be careful what you put on there, because whatever you put on there, you're branding yourself as that. 
if you're not a whore, stop dressing like one and putting it all on Facebook. Maybe you want to try it out. It's okay for you to try it out and wear it and look in the mirror, but don't post it because people are going to look at you a certain way and you'll be like, man, why are folk judging me? It, they're judging you because of you. If you keep putting those things out there, that's what they're going to think. But on the flip side, the positive side, you can make people think whatever by how you post. So use social media strategically. Don't let it use you. You use it strategically. In most cases, people think I dress up all the time because that's what I post. I purposely make them think that. In most cases, because I work in a factory, I look bummy most of the time. But in people's mind, they'd be like, man, you sure can dress. You're the best dressed pastor in Muncie. I may not be, but I make them think that because of the way I branded myself. I don't post the bad pictures. It takes me 15 pictures to get one that looks decent. So the half of them I throw away. Half of them I, I put some type of filter and light on it to make it look good. Don't believe all of that, that stuff, but that's branding. I'm using it as a tool. So learn to use it as a tool. Uh, I, for me, I have a strategy. It's an F strategy. My, all my posts are going to fall into this uh, category. They're going to be about my faith, my family, my funny, or my fashion. So those four things. Some of them, they mix together. So a lot of times I use my family and funny together. But you're always going to get that from me. So every now and then I'll deviate from that if I feel like it's necessary. But a lot of the political discussions, I don't get, uh, I don't get into that, even though I have a lot to say. But that's not my brand. My brand is my faith, my fashion, my funny, my family. So it's pretty much going to stay in that context. When I work out, I don't post a bunch of gym pictures. I don't post me with my shirt off, even though some other people that may be good for them, it's not good for my brand. It's not good for me as a pastor. I've mentioned that now I don't mind social drinking, but you don't see me posting pictures of me drinking because it's not good for my brand as a pastor. Even though I'm honest about it, some stuff I keep off of social media on purpose because I understand it's a marketing tool. So once you learn that and, 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 and what some young people don't know is that employers look at that stuff. So be wise on what you're putting out there. All right, let's skip on. Uh, and these are the last two. Uh, J, which would be number 10, just because you can't take them with you does not mean you don't need their support. And I, I mentioned this uh, on Sunday because it connected to the point that says that it's lonely at the top because the higher you go up, the less people that you can take with you. And that's just part that's just part of life. Whenever you advance and are promoted, everybody that's in your circle now can't go and you don't want everyone to go. But you also have to understand that just because you can't take everybody with you doesn't mean you don't need their support, especially along the way. So I use the example of a, a high-rise uh, building that it's usually big at its base, and then it gets skinnier as the higher it goes up because you need a lot of support when you're starting out. Uh, you need support from, from family, mother, father, teachers, uh, community, church. You need a lot of support, but the higher you go up, that support thins out, but just know that don't don't think you are the lone ranger 
and you can do this all on your own. You, you need people along the way. So treat people good along the way. As you're going up, treat people good. At every stage, learn how to treat people good, even if they're, so to speak, under you. Let's say you're to the place where you're in a fancy restaurant and you can buy anything on the menu. Treat the waiter kind. There's nothing worse than someone who has, quote, unquote, arrived, and then they're snobby, snobbish, they're prideful. As Christians, we should never be that type of person. And there's a lot of pastors who are just untouchable and snobbish. Now, I understand that you can't let everybody around, around you, but that doesn't mean you can't be cordial and kind. You can't smile. There are a lot of crazy people out there. And yes, they may try to do something. So some preachers do need security, but you know, you don't have to be all, you're not the president. You know, you, you, you don't need the secret service. You be, be humble, be approachable, learn that you always need people. So, so treat people a certain way. People in authority many times don't understand that. A lot of times our cops, even though they're in a position of, of authority, they can determine things differently if they approach people with respect. Sometimes they'll come and they bang on, on your window. License and registration. You're already starting it in an aggravated sense. Just because you're in a position of authority doesn't mean you have to treat people as if they are under you. And so as Deliverance Temple people, people who we say we live our vision every day, part of that should be to always empower people. Never feel like you're bigger and better than people. Always have a, a willingness to lift people up. Now, you may not be able to take everybody where you're going, but that don't mean you can't help them. That don't mean you don't need their support. That don't mean you don't need their smile, their handshake. Uh, I may be the best preacher, teacher in the world, but if nobody logs in and nobody comes to see me, guess what? Who, who cares? So I need the support of the people. I, I need y'all in the comments and putting your emojis in. I, I need y'all saying amen and supporting me. So I can never be so big that I don't need you guys because it's all a part of what's making me who I am. You are a part of it. And if, if there's some places I'll go that I can't take you with, you with me. I can't take the whole church to South Africa. But spiritually, I am taking all of you with me because you're in my heart. So understand that. Even though you're going up and you're progressing and going high, you still need everybody along the way. Treat everybody with respect. Nobody is beneath you. You're not better than anyone. All right. And here's the, the final one. This is something that Christians really need to understand. The grace you want is the grace you should give. The worst thing that Christians do is they treat everybody else's sin different from theirs. When somebody else's sin is in the paper, ooh, they should be ashamed of themselves. But what about when you should have been ashamed of yourself? Now, you, we, we're not talking about that because God kept your stuff private. Now that there's, this person's stuff is private, you got a whole lot to say. One thing you won't see me saying when a pastor falls, you won't see me saying a whole lot of stuff about it. I'm going to pray for them. Now, if if we have a private relationship and you ask me a personal question, I may give my opinion, but you won't hear me saying a lot because it could be me next because I'm gifted, but I got some private stuff. And so God has graced me through stuff, allowed me to get some stuff together. So I'm not pointing fingers at the next person. And even though I could not stand Trump's leadership, even when I talked about him, I tried to 
talk about him in a way that I still thought was respectful. I still tried to respect the office, even though I was trying to call out what I thought uh, the spirit he operated under was wrong, which to me was the spirit of pride. But even then, I was careful on how I said it, because the grace you want is the grace that you should give. You got to offer people grace. I'm not big on canceling folk because I should have been canceled. Paul, the writer of the majority of the New Testament, he should have been canceled because he was a part of killing Christians. So learn to offer people grace because we all need it. So offer it to somebody else. So the same uh, grace you want is the grace you should give. The best way to say it is basically the way the golden rule says it. How you want to be treated is the way you should treat others. That's a paraphrase, but it's really a biblical principle that Jesus talks about. Look, whatever you want, put it out there for others. And then when it's your turn, it'll be there for you. And when it's not there for you, guess what? It's okay because you always got a God that you can turn on and you can lean on and depend on. So those are my 11 things with the points and the honorable mentions. Uh, really, I could do uh, in November, it'll be 25 years of uh, total ministry. So really, I could do a whole bunch of these because I've got a, I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And it's my job to impart those things to you. But the way I'll end it is this way. Hey, if you will still have me and you will still keep me, I'll still lead you. And we'll still get where God wants us to be. If you believe it, how about you just put an amen in the comments? And then we're going to go to our prayer. We actually also did communion on uh, last Sunday, too. So let's start with a closing prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, even as this prayer says transformation, revival, healing and forgiveness. God, I thank you for how you are transforming us, how you're reviving us, how you're healing us, and how ultimately you have forgiven us. And because of that, all these lessons that I've learned that I'm giving to other people, you and I know both. I ain't got no business being up here. I have no business teaching anybody, but because of your forgiveness and the goodness that you've given to me, you've given me an opportunity to lead people. And so God, I thank you. And I thank you for the people who call me their pastor and who honor me as their shepherd. So bless us all, touch us all, save the unsaved, reclaim the black backslidden. God, push Deliverance Temple where it needs to be, and I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Much love to you. Thank you for tuning in, for watching. See you next week, and thanks again for the anniversary love, the pastor love, and just thanks for just being a part of this ministry. Blessings to you.